0: On this glorious day of Pentecost, we celebrate the birth of the Church, and we hear of a day when for the first time, with the singular exception of the baptism of Jesus when the Holy Spirit appeared as a dove, the singular time that the Holy Spirit's presence becomes visible to the eye. But this time, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit does not come like a dove but in wind and in a mighty fire. Now we know by faith that the Holy Spirit rushes through this holy place with just as much power as he did when hovering over the abyss at the very dawn of creation, bringing order into chaos and light into impenetrable darkness. Yet even the gentle flames of our altar candles do not waver, as the Spirit comes through this place. But on that first Pentecost day, there was no gentle movement of the Holy Spirit. No, we hear of a mighty rushing wind of tongues of fire dividing and resting upon the heads of the disciples who were gathered that day in prayer. Was this necessary? Why not a more subtle movement as we read in today's gospel? When the Lord Jesus came through the locked doors on the first Easter day and simply breathed on the apostles and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Well, first we need to uh, consider and realize that we would be mistaken if we thought that the Holy Spirit was not given until Pentecost. We know the Holy Spirit was active in creation. We know the Holy Spirit was active in the writings of the Old Testament, in the words of the prophets. We know that the Holy Spirit filled the soul of John the Baptist when he was still in the womb of his mother, Elizabeth. And we know that Elizabeth herself, as the Gospel of Luke tells us, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cried out in a loud voice to Mary, her cousin, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. The Holy Spirit is eternal God, always present, always active. So what's so special about Pentecost? What happened that day that gave birth to the church? Why is Pentecost not like any other day? Notice that before Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given to individuals or to a small group at a time, usually for a special purpose or occasion. But at Pentecost, a special prophecy, the prophecy of Joel, is fulfilled. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, the Lord says. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And everyone will be rescued who calls upon the name of the Lord. Pentecost, then, is a healing remedy for a tragic division that we read about in the Old Testament, in the Tower of Babel, as all the nations hear the good news of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, proclaimed in their own language. At Babel, however, the people spoke one language, but then the Lord, because of their pride and arrogance, confused their tongues, and they could no longer communicate. At Pentecost, People from every nation came, and God brought them into unity in faith, in baptism, and in the Holy Spirit. But if we look deeper, we see even more, a great contrast. The disciples were gathered in the upper room, and they were praying fervently and perseveringly, and they were united as though they had one heart and mind, obediently waiting for the outpouring of, of the Holy Spirit, as the Lord Jesus had promised. Remember that in our reading last week, we read that, and they prayed together with Mary, the mother of Jesus. But at Babel we see something entirely different. The people said, let us make bricks, let us make a tower to reach the sky. God doesn't have a problem with tall buildings or with the accomplishments of human endeavors. He simply reminds us that he is God and we are not. What a beautiful lesson for us. At Pentecost, salvation becomes available to all nations. At Pentecost, it becomes faith and not birth that determines whether we are part of the people of God. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit becomes available to everyone who believes and is baptized. Here's the real deal. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit becomes the animating principle, the soul of the Church. Listen to this. The Church is the body of Christ. Christ is its head. We are its members. And the Holy Spirit is the soul that empowers the church. All of the baptized share in that same spirit, that one spirit. As St. Paul tells us today, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. We were all given to drink of one spirit. And that's very important to consider that we are not one because we're like-minded because we're all from the same race or ethnic background, because we all kind of like each other, or even because we've decided we're going to get along and be real tolerant, or because we like gathering here together. We're one because the Holy Spirit is one, and we are all filled with the one Spirit, who is the very soul of the body of Christ. We cannot have a relationship with one member of the Blessed Trinity. It is because the Holy Spirit dwells in us that we're able to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who is the only way to the Father. The Holy Spirit. The one Spirit who dwells in me and he dwells in you and within each follower of Christ. So therefore, we can say that we are one. It's because the Holy Spirit, as Jesus has promised, has been sent That the church has received the spirit of truth and that we can trust that the faith that we have received from the apostles is still faithfully taught in every age by the magisterium, the teaching authority of the church. And it's the Holy Spirit who makes the sacraments effective. Otherwise, they'd just be ceremonies watches the priest very soon, holds his hands over the offerings, our humble offerings of bread and wine, and calls the Holy Spirit down so that they may become the body and the blood of Christ. And so baptism, the Eucharist, confirmation, penance, the anointing of the sick, marriage and holy orders, they all are empowered by the person of the Holy Spirit who brings about a dramatic and personal encounter with the risen Christ. And he touches the soul of each person receiving that sacrament. So, it is is the Holy Spirit then limited to the sacraments? By no means. It's the Holy Spirit's indwelling power that enables the saints of every age to do what seems almost superhuman. And it's the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit in you, who enables each one of you to become a saint. It's the Holy Spirit in your soul who enables you to experience the Pentecostal fire that brings to life his mighty gifts for the sake of his church, those gifts that direct and empower and give meaning to your life. Catholics, you see, are the original Pentecostals, and we should not be afraid of that term. We think of Pentecostalism as overly emotional, but how tragic, how tragic it would be if we drew back from an active, dynamic, vibrant experience of faith because someone might confuse our devotion with mere emotions. Well, do you want to be spirit-filled? You already are through baptism and confirmation. But do you want to be spirit-filled Ask the Spirit to burst into flames in your own life, to stir up your faith, to renew you, to empower you, to make you always aware, always aware of his presence in your soul. The sequence we just read. Did you read it or did you pray it? Perhaps you could add it to your communion meditation today. And when you come to church each Sunday, and take time to kneel quietly in silent prayer, preparing yourself to hear the word of the Lord and to receive his most holy body and blood. Ask the Holy Spirit every time to fill you with the fire of his love and mean every word. Trust, believe, and pray that this Spirit will do great and mighty things in your life.